Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Things Episcopal, where we talk about everything and anything related to the Episcopal Church. This podcast was designed with young people in mind, so ages specifically 18 to 39. And it's a place to learn more about the Christian faith, um, specifically through the Episcopal lens. With this podcast in particular, we're going to offer a variety of ways to learn about the Episcopal Church. Some of these learning opportunities will come through conversations and interviews, sermons, and the reading of the daily office. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also want you to know that while we love our clergy, we also cherish the ministry of the laity. The laity, as our Book of Common Prayer says, is to represent Christ and His Church, to bear witness to Him wherever they are, and according to the gifts given to them, to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world, and to take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the Church which is why we have laity represented in the planning and production of this podcast, along with clergy. We also deeply care about this podcast being a representation of the whole body of Christ, which means you're going to hear from a diverse group of voices. So in traditional Episcopal greeting fashion, the Lord be with you. And also with you. And also with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to All Things Episcopal. Today is a very special episode for a couple of reasons. The first is that this is the season finale of our first season of All Things Episcopal. And the second is we have a special guest, the Right Reverend Diane Jardine Bruce. She is currently serving as the Bishop Provisional for the Diocese of West Missouri. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the Episcopate is. Um, We're going to hear Bishop Diane's story and the role and function of a bishop, because after all, the Episcopal Church is a church of bishops. Um, And the last thing to note is that season two episodes will be released in October. So be anxiously awaiting for those those episodes to be released. So without further ado, how are you doing, Bishop Diane? Well, I'm doing great, and I'm just so excited to be with you all. So what do you want to know? We want to know all the things. Our our first question for you, and we've collected questions from college students, from folks who are not Episcopalian, um, and some folks who are even not even Christian um, that have questions for you. So our first question is, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you found the Episcopal Church? Were you raised in the Episcopal Church or not? No, I was actually raised in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I was going to be a nun, which you could do as an entering freshman in high school. And the summer before I was supposed to start my novitiate as an incoming freshman, I got kissed by a boy and decided if God made something feel that good, I could not take the chastity vow. Um, so, So it was you know, kind of hard to feel called to serve and not be able to kind of answer that call because, you know, you start you start thinking about, oh, things like boys. Um, so I um, I went to UC Berkeley um, for and for my undergrad, uh, I was a linguistics major. My junior year, I took a series of tests to decide what you should be when you grow up. 
And um, the woman asked me, what's your major? I said, linguistics. And she said, linguistics? I said, yeah, linguistics. She said, well, the first thing the tests indicate you should be is a priest. And the second thing it indicates you should be is a banker. And I thought, and I said to her, this was a waste of my time. You know, I'm a Roman Catholic woman. I was engaged to be married to somebody else at that point, not my husband. Um, I didn't marry that person. Um, but I said, and I can't add two and two. I could never be a banker. This is crazy. And so, um, you know, put a pin in that little piece because, you know, when something is absurd that somebody tells you, it just goes out of your mind and you never think about it again. Well, that was one of those things that comes up later. Um, when I was 30, I was visiting one of my college roommates and her home um, in in um, Albuquerque, and it, I was pregnant with our daughter. And uh, it turned out that um, I had developed an allergy in that pregnancy to cats, and she had cats. So we went up to um, uh, Española, New Mexico, to the home of her parents. Her mother was from England and was a priest in the Episcopal Church. Her father was a physicist at Los Alamos Lab. Um, her her mother said to me on Saturday night, come to the Episcopal Church tomorrow, Diane, darling. It won't hurt you. And so um, the next day I went to church and it was like, smells the same, looks the same. Where's my monthly missalette? You know, there was, and, you know, we, you know, we just, it just felt the same. And then we sat around my friend's mother's pool um, after the service, talking about the differences between the Episcopal Church and, and the Roman Catholic Church. And I went home and told my husband, who was actually um, a cradle Episcopalian, but he stopped going to church in high, after high school. Um, I said, that's it. We're Episcopalians. And so um, we started going to the Episcopal church. I gave birth to my daughter. And then um, and then when she was about two months old, three months old, I was going to, um, I, I said, my, my son wasn't feeling well. Max wasn't feeling well. So I said, I, I said to my husband. I just fed her. Um, I was breastfeeding. I just fed her. Um, there are no bottles in there. I'm going to go to mass really quickly. I will be back. Do not panic. Do not panic. And he said, do not leave me with this child. And I said, you'll be fine. You'll be absolutely fine. And so I go to service and there was a woman celebrating the Eucharist. I've seen that before. No, no, you know, I've seen that, you know, I'd seen that before. I was a seasoned veteran of all of three months in the church, right? Four months, five months in the church. Um, and I was driving home and I didn't even stop. I didn't even go see her at the door. I just went out the side door, went because I, I was determined to get back before anything, before my husband panicked. And so I felt like an elephant was standing, started, it felt like an elephant was standing on my chest. I thought I was having a heart attack. I pulled the car over to the side of the road and turned it off. And I unlocked my door thinking, I don't want anybody to break into my car. And so, and then all of a sudden, you know, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then my, my, my windshield became like a video where it was that early, you know, call, it was that early call to serve as a nun. And it was that faithful first kiss was all of this was in the, the windshield. And then it was the woman at the ed center that I said, you know, that I said, Oh my God, I said, this is just, this just wasn't helpful for me. And I, I, and I had totally forgotten that. I mean, totally put that in my mind. And I thought, holy, holy moly, I'm a I was a banker at Wells Fargo Bank at the time. And oh my God, I can be a priest. And then the woman that celebrated the Eucharist was in all her vestments was in my windshield. And then my face became her face. 
And there was this big booming voice in the car saying to me, when are you going to stop running and say yes to me? And I eked out a little, okay. And the elephant stepped off my chest and it took me 45 minutes for me to get use of my legs back. So, cause I was like shaking, shaking. And then I was driving up, you know, of course I'm, I knew I was late when you breastfeed, you know, when you're, you know, overdue. And um, I pull up to the curb in front of the house. He comes running out with the screaming baby and says to me, are you okay? Are you okay? What happened? And I said, what if I told you I have to be a priest? And he looked at me and he says, as long as you don't give up on sex, I don't care. And he hands me the baby. Now, when I had to write all of this out for when I, you know, when I was nominated for bishop, he said, you can't say that I said that. And I said, well, what am I supposed to say? He says, well, say that uh, as long as you don't have to take a vow of chastity. I said, but Stephen, that's not what you said. And he says, well, they'll think I'm a sex fiend. And I said, Stephen, we have, we're married. We have children. People do the math. And so anyway, so that, that's the story of, uh, and then, and then it, um, because of, because of, uh, I, I, I was, I, I started to almost start the process in the Diocese of California, but my husband got transferred and then I needed to be resident in the diocese two years before they'd even look at me in Los Angeles. And so from the time that time, the time that uh, piece happened to the time I was ordained was 10 years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is a long journey. And thank you so much for sharing that um, with us. Cause I think a lot of our, of our listeners are going to be fascinated by your story. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, the Episcopal Church is a church of bishops. Um, so for our listeners um, who might not be as familiar with the Episcopal Church, what is the role and function of a bishop within the Episcopal Church? The role of a bishop is really that of chief pastor um, for not, not only the clergy, but the entire flock. And so in, in our denomination, um, what that means is I have I have I have oversight of all the clergy um, and and lay leaders and and lay people, too, in the sense that uh, if if things are happening or things are changing or things need to change, um, you know, we work you work through the bishop. We have can't we have something called the Constitution and Canons of the Episcopal Church and each diocese has their own Constitution and Canons. And um, the Constitution and Canons of each diocese have to have to reflect the constitution and canons of, of the Episcopal church. And those kind of guide us in terms of what we can do. So, so we have four orders of ministry. I think the most powerful order order of ministry is the laity because there's so many of them and there's so few of the other, of the other layers. So, so we, we love our laity and we, we, the bishops work to care for them in terms of, providing programming for teaching, all of that other stuff. Then we have deacons um, who really are take the church out into the world um, and bring the world back into the church in, uh, uh, in, in terms of their call to ministry. And then we have priests uh, that, that can do three things that a deacon can't do. They can absolve, bless, and consecrate. So we call it the ABC, absolve, bless, and consecrate. So that is really they they have more more of a sacramental role, and then you have bishops. So bishops, you know, or, or one level above that. Um, and what what a bishop can do that a priest can't do is a bishop can can ordain a priest or a deacon. A a priest cannot ordain a deacon. Um, only a bishop can do that. And so 
So we are responsible for or, for the whole entire ordination process of people that are seeking ordination. But more, um, we we also are we also do things like um, bless chrism for uh, for the for the for the anointing at baptism. We um, uh, we also confirm, receive, and reaffirm uh, people uh, that are making those steps after their initial baptism, right? If you were baptized as a baby, sometimes you're confirmed as a high school student, sometimes it's an adult. If you were baptized and confirmed in, the, for example, the Roman Catholic Church, we would receive you into this arm of God's body or Christ's body. Um, and if you've been if you've been um, baptized and confirmed in the Episcopal Church, but something's happened in your life that you want to um, that 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 calls you to want to do this again, then we call that a reaffirmation, and the bishop can only do that. Does that make sense? Most definitely. And both. Uh what you just said in terms of role and function of a bishop, as well as your story, you talked about discernment. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your discernment to the priesthood versus the discernment to the episcopate, which is being a bishop and how that process worked for you. Well, so you just heard about my discernment to the priesthood. I, I did not want to be a bishop. I was, I was happy as a clam just being a parish priest, I loved my my congregation. We were rocking and rolling. I did three services every Sunday, two in English, one in Spanish. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And then um, in the Diocese of Los Angeles, the then diocesan John Bruno called for the election of two suffragan bishops. And so I had all these people coming up to me, my friends in the diocese saying, I want to nominate you. And I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, no, no. Oh, no. Thank, no, thank you. And then one of my friends um, came up to me and said, you know, Diane, I know you, and I know you haven't taken this to prayer. And I went, oh, why? And so I was on my way to the Holy Land with a group um, of priests from England and from the United States. And one of my good friends in the Diocese of Los Angeles was on that trip, too. And so one early morning, she and I, at like five o'clock in the morning, um, walked down to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre so there wouldn't be a cast of thousands down there. And, you know, you go, if you've been there, you go up these steps and there's a, there's a hole where they think the cross of Christ was and, and there's a stone there. You, you, there's the hole, you put your hand in the hole. And it was kind of under reconstruction. So you had to crawl through this little wooden shaft to get to it and put your hand down at that time. And so, because every site that we visited before then, because um, we were initially asked what needs to be, uh, when we were at, our first stop was the Mount Mount Tabor where the transfiguration is assumed to have happened, and so it was like what needs transfiguring, what we what needs looking at in your life. So, uh, you know, I took this as my, you know, it's like er, so every place, I, every place we stopped in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that I just talked about was at the very end, because I I'd, I'd be at these we'd be at these different holy places, and I'd be I'd be like Lord. Got anything for me? Nothing. Okay, Lord, next place. Got anything for me? Not hearing anything. Got anything for me? Nothing. Okay. So I'm thinking this is like, this is a done deal. I'm not doing anything. So I'm there in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I say, Lord, this is one of the last places we're stopping. We're, you know, we're going to get on a plane. So if you got some, you know, I got like maybe two more stops in me here. But, you know, getting close to the end. 
if you're going to be talking, better start. I'd love you for talking now. So I put my hand down in the, the hole. And then there was this, that same big booming voice, like in the car, you know, when Diane Marie, your call to the priesthood came from within. You're being called by your peers into a new ministry. You need to engage the process. And I went, all right, I'll engage. So I came out from that little cubby thing. And my, I turned around and my girlfriend looked at me and she said, you got, you got your answer. I can see it on your face. I can see, I know you like, I can see it on your face. And I said, I did. And then there was this man, this, um, I, I don't know if he was Greek or Greek Orthodox or some Orthodox was selling candles. And so there was another pilgrim there that was, you know, that was buying a candle. He took one look at my face. He handed me three candles and he's, he went like this, no charge. So whatever was happening there was, it was, I must, I, my, my friend said, you were glowing when you came out of there. And I just went, I don't know about glowing, but I'm like overwhelmed with this. And so, so when I got back to the United States, um, I, um, I called my mentor rector who was, was one that was really pushing to nominate me. And I said, okay. And so, but the same week I found out I was nominated um, for Bishop, I found out I had bilateral breast cancer and, um, and I thought, well, Lord, that's a cosmic joke because this isn't happening now, but God had another plan. And I, you know, it was like everything. I can't even begin to describe how this fell into place. Like I was supposed to be going away for two and a half weeks to England and Scotland on a mini sabbatical. And they said, the tumors are slow growing. There are two different kinds of tumors. I represent 2% of all women with breast cancer. My joke is every woman wants to feel special, just not this way. So I ended up, um, I, I, I went to England and Scotland. Three days later, I had bilateral lumpectomies. Um, a week later, I was on a plane to finish my, my doctor of ministry coursework at Evanston. I couldn't lift, I couldn't lift my suitcases. So my, my seminary friends there, they, it was so funny. Everybody wanted to meet. I, I want to go and be with her. I want. So I had three, three of them decided that they were going to be the representatives coming to get me from the airport. And so, but, and get me up in my room and, and do everything, you know, get me set up to, to where I needed. Um, and then I came back. And then a week later, um, it was general convention. It was my first time as a deputy on, in the House of Deputies. Uh, came back from that. Um, the Saturday after convention ended, um, the convention ended on a Friday. On Saturday, I was interviewed uh, to be Bishop Suffragan of the Diocese of Los Angeles. And on Monday, I had my first round of chemo. And so I went through four rounds of chemo and 33 rounds of bilateral radiation. And, uh, yeah, it was, so when they did the walkabouts, I was bald. I was bald and I was actually skinny because it's not that I, it's not that I was sick. It was just, I was eating so hyper healthy and walking because I had to take drugs. Uh, I had to take shots every day to, um, increase my white cell count, which gives you severe bone, um, pain. And so I, I walk miles every day, which helped curtail the pain. You know, I was like, I was like walking like this. And so, it, but I was like, I was buff by the time I got done with chemo. And so, uh, not so buff now, but buff when I, when I had chemo. Um, and then I had, I had radiation after that. So when I was elected bishop, 
on the third ballot. Um, I had like little stubble. So everybody thought I had kind of shaved my head to be a fashion statement, but it was just a little stubble that was coming back. And so, yeah, so that was, that's the story of um, being a bish or getting, you know, so yeah. (laughs) No, I, I love how spiritual as well as real your discernment was. Um, and something that I've I've heard many clergy persons go through, but also like laity, when they're discerning something, it's equal parts your conversation with God and those that love and support you and listening to the wisdom that they have. And it's a beautiful thing when both of those come together. And you know, I've I've always been I've always been a very all my family thought for for sure I was going to be a nun. Unfortunately, I got kissed, and that just threw that whole thing out the window. But I mean, from the time I was little, everybody assumed I was going to be a nun, just because you know, prayer means everything to me, and I try to live my life as a prayer because it, it be my, I try to live my life that if I die and meet my Maker at the mercy seat, I don't have a lot to report, and so. So, you know, I, I just think when you, when you, when you, when you have a deep prayer life, um, and I love Samuel Shoemaker's quote on prayer, prayer might not change things for you, but it will sure change you for things. And I think that that is so true. Think about the prayer that I prayed before the car hit me. Think about the prayer that I prayed because when you, when you, when you're constantly praying, that's what happens. It's like this natural language that just comes out of you. And um, and it's centering and it's healing and it's whole. Um, and there's like this total connection that happens and it's it's wonderful. So I try to live my life in constant prayer, which is the reason why sometimes like when I get in deep prayer, like I always when I celebrate the Eucharist, I'm the whole service I'm praying. I can I have been known to get lost because I'm praying and I, I get lost in the service or sometimes. Um, I get a, a, like a mini, uh, what, what in some of the vernacular would call, would call a glory spell. And then it's like, I can't speak English. I can't speak Spanish. I can't speak. Ch- I don't know what I'm speaking, but it's not coming out any, any which way good. So, um, sometimes I get over that. I, I have to, tri- I trip over my own tongue and, you know, because I, I, I celebrate the Eucharist in, you know, in my native New Jersey, um, which has been interesting for the diocese of West Missouri. Um, and then I always do the prayer over the bread in Spanish and most of the prayer over the wine in Mandarin. And so those are two of the languages I studied and which I, I still study and love. Um, and so anyway, but sometimes I can, I can just trip o- even over English. It's terrible. It's really, it's, it's sad. It's just sad. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're a wealth of knowledge and you bring in so much um, diverse culture with language. And language is how we make connection, um, both past and present, with our communities. Um, and personally, um, I love it that you celebrate the Eucharist in three different languages. Um, because my spouse, his first language is Spanish. So it's one of the few times I actually get to hear our beautiful liturgy of the table spoken in his native tongue. Um, and it, it makes the worship that much more rich. Um, But I digress. Um, One of our questions comes to us from a college student, Michaela, and she asks, 
have you gotten any backlash about being a woman in church leadership, specifically about being a female bishop? And how have you oh, handled that? Oh, yes. Um, uh, I was ordained or consecrated a bishop in 2010. There were two congregations in the Diocese of Los Angeles out of about 135 at that time where a woman never celebrated the Eucharist at the altar. So I was in, invited to preach, but not to celebrate. And so, um, and, you know, only a man could do confirmations the whole nine yards. Well, that has since changed. In fact, I was the first woman to celebrate the Eucharist at both of those altars um, because I worked with I worked with the congregation uh, and helped them come along the path. Also, when you have a last name like Bruce and you're referred to as Bishop Bruce, most people, if they've never met you and they don't know you, assume you're a man. And when I show up and I'm not even five feet tall, so I'm standing in a hole on a good day, they look at they say, no, you you can't be the bishop. It's like, oh, oh I got the ring. I got the ring. And so, um, you know, it's a very it's a very interesting thing. And so. And and sometimes when I've traveled internationally, um, not only because I'm from the Episcopal Church, but I'm a woman bishop in the Episcopal Church, I've gotten pushback from some bishops and clergy who do not believe in women's ordination. And in other instances, I was brought in um, to sh- by a primate, a, a, a you know, a head bishop, um, presiding bishop, to work with a congregate work with a diocese on what does what does you know a woman clergy person look like act like talk like um and that's been that's been very comforting um but yes it it's interesting because because people don't as, people assume when they see me in a collar I'm a nun sister thank you for your work oh you're welcome I always say you're welcome I, I don't correct you know what are you going to say? It's like, I'm not going to, I'm in Starbucks or I'm in a coffee shop and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, well, I'm actually an Episcopal bishop. So, because then, then they would just, you know, that would take too much talking. And I, I, I'm not, I'm just not, I, I want to have my coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> If I understand correctly, like coffee is the eighth unofficial sacrament of the Episcopal church. That would be correct. Yeah. Um, so I, I can appreciate that. Um, Our next question comes to us from another college student, Tyler, and she asks, what are your favorite things about being a bishop? I love confirming. I love I I love being with um, being with congregations every Sunday. I'm in a different church every Sunday. Um, The Diocese of West Missouri has 47 active churches, 48, one closed. But, you know, we're hoping to do something with that. Diocese of Los Angeles had over a hundred and over 130. So I was used, I'm used to being in a different place every Sunday. I love it. I love preaching and teaching. I love talking with people and meeting with people and hearing, hearing, you know, their dreams, their hopes, their desires, um, hearing how, you know, the minute, the various ministries they do for outreach into their communities. Um, it's been a real joy. I mean, that's the joy part for me that it's, it's wonderful. Oh, I also love ordaining new priests because I get to squeeze their head like a melon. <laughs> I I think uh, 
the other person on this call, Father Colin, may or may not agree with that. I have felt <laughs> those hands squeeze my head like a melon. Yes, and it it is. It's powerful. Um, our next question, and we already kind of touched on this because you said that you were Bishop Suffragan in the Diocese of Los Angeles, but now you serve as Bishop Provisional in the Diocese of West Missouri. So the question um, that is being asked is, what are the different types of bishops, such as uh, suffragan, provisional, and diocesan? And do they function differently, or is it just a title difference? Uh, that's a that's an excellent question. So there's actually four four canonical meaning of you know of our laws uh, uh, bishops, meaning we ha- uh, we're, uh, we have canonical responsibility. We also have like a fifth category of a retired bishop that's just helping out, you know, oh, yeah, I'll do confirmations for you once a month or what, you know, I'll, I'll do a visitation for you, you know, every other whatever. So that's called an assisting bishop. Then um, the, the, the main bishop is always the bishop diocesan. OK, bishop diocesan. And that is a uh, that is a person that's in charge of, that, that has jurisdiction, meaning charge over the entire diocese. and so. And then there's a bishop suffragan who does not have jurisdiction, but has responsibilities for certain ministries and does everything is, is elected the same, consecrated the same. Everything is the same for a suffragan and diocesan. The difference is what we, our function. So I, before as a diocesan, I never got it to, I never got the chance. I, I was never allowed because it's not canonical to consent on the election of another bishop. Now that I'm the bishop provisional here, I get to consent to another bishop's election. So so a bishop provisional is a bishop diocesan, but without tenure. A bishop diocesan has tenure. A bishop suffragan has tenure. And so, and then there's the bishop assistant. All, it has to be voted on. They have to go through a whole bunch of steps. It has to be voted on by the standing committee of the diocese and then approved by the House of Bishops. So, so a bishop assistant is is similar to a bishop suffragan. They're, they're there for a specific ministry. However, unlike a bishop suffragan, they do not have tenure. So if the diocesan retires, then the assistant may not be picked up to continue with the new bishop diocesan. Whereas with me, I first served under Bishop Bruno and then when Bishop Taylor was elected, I served with him as his, as his, um, as his suffragan because I have tenure. Could, you know, they can't, they kind of can't touch it. And so, so, so yeah, that's the, that's the difference between the bishops. And so being a bishop provisional is really, is really doing two things. Number one, it's doing all of the same work as a bishop diocesan, but also doing kind of a, a work of an interim um, minister to try to bring healing when healing needs to happen. Um, or change things that need to, that need to happen within the diocese. So I'm getting ready. I'm getting them ready. So you can think about it like, you know, maybe you were married and then you got a divorce and then you started dating. And then, you know, and then, you know, you met somebody else and you got married. So I'm kind of the person in that middle that, you know, maybe teaches you how to marry better the next time. It's a very, very good. Good explanation of it. <laughs> um, another question that we have gotten is 
What are some of the most inspiring things you've seen in your call as a bishop? Um, So early on, I was at an Episcopal school. It was their school day on Sunday. The congregation at this church was very small, but the school was was mid-sized. And there was a young girl there. Her name was Katie. And she, you know, I asked her to help me. She was going to stand next. I said, could you stand next to me? And can, can I ask you to hold my hat for me? My mic. Could I, this is a miter. Can I ask you to hold? Oh, yes. yes. And so I, um, she was, she was glued to my side. We did the, we did the whole service. And then afterwards there was this big reception. All the families came. Katie's parents and Katie was, Katie was, uh, Spanish speaking. Her parents and grandparents, her parents spoke broken, broke, uh, her, spa- her parents spoke okay, in, you know, good English, good English, actually. Her grandparents spoke no English. So Katie brought me over to introduce her, to introduce me to her grandparents and her parents. And she was holding my hand and, um, and I'm speaking to the parent, the parents and the grandparents in Spanish and everybody's getting, you know, it's, it's like they're happy and I'm happy and we're getting along. And then, you know, I, I said how wonderful it was to have Katie with me. And this was so, what a beautiful day. Da, da, da. Katie had a charm bracelet. And and Katie, as I was leaving, came running up to me and she pulled one of the charms off of her bracelet. And she handed it to me and she said, I want you to keep this to always remember me because I will never forget you. And I was just like, I, you know, you can't, you just can't, um, you can't, you can't go, you can't receive that kind of thing and not be totally moved. And, you know, I, I think, I think my way of being a bishop is being extremely relational and not all bishops act that way, but I think a growing number of bishops are acting that way more. Because because it, it really is all about relationships. And I think in some ways COVID taught us that. Um, but I but I was that way long before COVID. Um the newer crop of bishops that are coming into the house are much more relational and less um prince or princess bishops, like do what I say. It's like that doesn't work anymore. Let's let's talk, let's let's be transparent, let's work together, let's you know, because the bishop doesn't have all the good ideas. Um, but Katie, in that moment, touched my heart in such a way. And so I kept her heart in my, um, in my, the, you know, that my ID badge passed. I had a little carrier thing. I kept, I kept it for a long. And then unfortunately, recently, I discovered, you know, I looked down and it was gone. I have no idea where Katie went, the, her little thing. But Every time I look at my badge, I see it was a heart. It was blue on the outside and pink on the inside. And so I still have it in my mind's eye, even though I physically don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened. And so I don't know where I was, or and I'm hoping to find it because it needs to go back into its home. Because I will never, ever forget that young woman. She was maybe, I no, she was 11 years old. She was 11 years old. And I was just, so those are... That was that was probably the most profound moment for me. Um, every time I lay hands on someone for a confirmation, every time I lay hands on someone for an ordination, every time I celebrate the Eucharist, 
um, every meeting I have, even the harder ones, it's, it's a joyful event. It's a joyful event. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story about Katie and, and her inspiring you and your ministry. Um, I think that there's something really beautiful about uh, young people being vessels for the Holy Spirit and God and to pay attention, to have childlike exactly. eyes of faith. Exactly. Um, and I think this is a, a great question. Our, our last question today um, is, what is your biggest hope? for college and young adults in the Episcopal church? Oh, that they, that they feel the love of God in Christ, that they know that wherever you are, you're welcome here. Whoever you are, you're welcome here. You know, you know, tall, short, fat, thin, gay, straight, you know, non-binary, whoever you are, you're welcome in this church. Because um, our, our former presiding Bishop Edmund Browning said this church shall be open to all. There will be no outcasts. And so I think we are that rock, that anchor for people that can feel that can feel left out in other spaces. Because if you if you really look at the sayings of Jesus, um my so so let me so my last one of my last classes in seminary was what are the true sayings of Jesus? And that was right as the Jesus seminar came out. And so I looked at the I looked at the the uh, four gospels um, and Thomas, and I came up with ten places where Jesus said the same thing in all in all of them, ten. And you know what it boiled down to, which our presiding bishop keeps on talking about, one four letter word: love. Who's outside God's love and grace? Nobody. Who who does not deserve God's? Everybody deserves God's love and grace, and the Episcopal Church is here. For that purpose, um, to to love one another, for us to love one another as Christ has loved us, and so anyway, but yeah, so so there's a place for you. Um, uh, please come, please be part of us. We we already love you, and uh, and find out what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be, because trust me, church will do that to you, and we've got great clergy here, but no pressure. Well, thank you so much um, for answering our questions that were submitted um, by college students and and our listeners. Um, And this is kind of off script a little bit, but would you be willing to pray us out before we do a closing? Sure. Awesome. Okay, so you want me to pray now? Yes, please. Okie dokie, I can do that. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Oh, gracious and holy one, we give you thanks for this time. We give you thanks for your grace and love. Lord, as we end this season of this podcast, may we have more seasons to come, but more, Lord. May people be drawn to to this space to know a little bit more about you, to learn how you fit into their lives so that they can be fed by your loving grace, so that they can actually feed others around them. For Lord, it's not, it's, we're not just takers. We're those who share. May our sharing, not only of this podcast, but of the gifts that you give each and every one of us, may they be deep. May they be profound. May college students find the Katie's in their life so that they can see you by looking at her. All this we ask in Jesus's name. Amen.
Amen. And Father Colin has a couple of things that he would like to say. Yes, and uh, I would just like to say thank you, Bishop Bruce, for spending time with us and sharing your uh, story with us. That takes a lot to share some personal side of things with the the public, especially on a platform where you can't always see people face to face. Um, and an, and another big thank you to Father David and to Claire and the entire Campus Ministry Commission of the Diocese uh, for putting their input and helping us dream this dream of putting a podcast together. Um, we also want to put a, a, a thank you out there to Pastor Lauren Richmond and his team at Resonant Media. Um, without them, this podcast would not have been successful uh, as successful as it's been. So we we really thank you all. And if you out there are listening and thinking, I would like to do a podcast, then we definitely encourage you to check out Resonant Media. Um, a special shout out to you, our listeners. Thank you for giving us your time and uh, for participating in these conversations with us and giving us questions today for Bishop Bruce to, to uh, um, answer for us. Uh, if you could get it elsewhere, if you could spend your time elsewhere, um, you you could, but you choose to do that with us and listening to this podcast. And we really, really appreciate that. Um, so again, thank you for listening to All Things Episcopal. Uh, we are going to take a short break, as Claire mentioned uh, at the beginning. Uh, episodes will be coming back with season two in October. And in the meantime, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about all things Episcopal, visit campusministry.dioestmo.org backslash all things Episcopal. All Things Episcopal Podcast is a production of the Diocese of West Missouri in association with Resonant Media. The Lord be with you all.